We're delighted today to uh, have uh, Manny Fernandez, and uh, we love Manny, but he, he's not as good-looking as his wife. He brought his wife, Glenda, today, and Glenda would just stand, and we want the congregation to meet you. And Manny, you come. Manny heads up World Link Ministries, and I get tired every time I talk to him, and you'll find out why. So you just help yourself. Thank you very much. It is a blessing to be with you again, and uh, I was uh, this morning thinking about coming, and there was uh, an enthusiasm about it, and uh, I was trying to get in touch with what it is uh, that is making me excited to be coming, and uh, sincerely, it is a down-to-earth feeling that I get when I'm uh, here in this church. I think the pastor has a lot to do with the spirit and the mood that he sets, and uh, then we have had some great times in the Word. Uh, we talked about the storms of life one time, and uh, we found out that we get storms in all shapes and sizes, and that we need to make a choice between faith or fear so that we will have victory in the middle of storms. And then we talked about uh, the main thing. The main thing is that the main thing always remain. The main thing. Uh, I hope you f didn't forget what the main thing was. Uh, some places they remember the proverb, they forget. The main thing is the great commission. And uh, uh, Pastor Phil told me, you know, Manny, the problem is every time you come, you, you get into the Word, but we really don't know what you do. And uh, so he said, please answer this question in the first 15 minutes for us. What on earth do you do? And, uh, that's, that's a pretty clear objective, a clear mission, a clear assignment. What on earth are we doing? So I thought we answer because they say a picture is worth a thousand words and a video is worth a thousand pictures. So we have a little eight-minute video that we're going to play for you and then a little PowerPoint and a letter. Those three things, 15 minutes. So we're ready to go, hopefully, uh, with the video. I, I like to refer to Cuba as God's greenhouse. I mean, the reason why I think of it this way is because God has, in a, in a very real sense, isolated it geographically, physically, but also spiritually. They have been under a government for the last 42 years that have, has not allowed them to relate freely with people in the outside world. This has rendered the Cuban heart so open to the gospel. Existing churches, having struggled through decades of hardship, are doing all they can to meet the need. But in reality, the need is too great. Established churches operate only in parts of Cuba's larger cities. Elsewhere, there is little gospel witness. What is needed is a new dynamic evangelistic strategy. The strategy of World Link Ministries, in partnership with its parent organization, Cefavon. Based on a decade of success in Spain and Morocco, Worldlink's approach to evangelizing Cuba is simple, and it targets every citizen. The beauty of it is this paradigm of ministry is deploying nationals to be able to reach their own with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Evangelists are recruited and trained and are then sent into local neighborhoods to present the message of Christ one-on-one. -on -one. WorldLink's goal is to send teams of 10 to 20 evangelists into every one of Cuba's 14 provinces. There are already more than 100 WorldLink-supported evangelists at work throughout the island. 
They work full time. They are paid $20 per month, which in Cuba is just about what a doctor or any other professional makes. It's early morning. The team of evangelists is meeting for prayer and a briefing on the plan for the day. They're bright, intelligent, articulate, and anxious to be about the task of spreading the gospel to their fellow Cubans. Following a few words of encouragement, they're off, trusting the Lord for their safety and their success. As people are one to Christ, they're encouraged to join local home churches. Locating and negotiating to purchase a building to house a home church is a major challenge. But the truly exciting news is that once one can be found, it can usually be purchased for only about $3,000. With perhaps $2,000 more for repairs and improvements, a new home church is born. A remarkable investment for God's kingdom. Equipped with a music machine from WorldLink Ministries, even the smallest home churches can sing the Lord's praises with joy and gusto. Once a home church is fully established, application can then be made to the Cuban government for recognition and approval as a formal legal church. Cubans on Cubans to make an entire difference to the generation that we are sent to be watchmen for. We feel this burden about being the watchmen of this generation, and we are excited for the fact that there are brothers and sisters that God has provided us with in their very context that can even drink their own water. They're able to speak the language. They're able to move in the culture. They're able to go right into people's uh, homes. They know when to talk. They know when not to talk. They know what to say. They know what not to say. And we're excited to see that what they can do that would take decades for a missionary, expatriate missionary from another uh, context to come and do, they can get done in months. We started one year ago in Cuba. When we came in, the strategy was to go into the western part in Havana and into the eastern part in Santiago. We were to go and to basically develop a group of 10 people in one extreme and 10 other people in the other extreme, full-time evangelists. We were going to pay them the full salary of a medical doctor per month in this country. That is a grand $20 a month. We were amazed that with $20 a month, you're paying people such a dignified salary that they can give their entire focus of life and energy to the spreading of the gospel. This is Frank and his wife Maria and their baby. Frank supervises and helps train a group of WorldLink evangelists. He's a university graduate and a medical doctor. But Frank doesn't want to practice medicine anymore. All he wants to do is work for WorldLink Ministries, spreading the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ to his fellow Cubans. Like the evangelists he directs, Frank receives education and training from teachers from the Cefavan Seminary in Spain. These teachers come to Cuba on a regular basis to provide Bible and theological instruction for the WorldLink team, equipping to better share the good news of Christ. today is the day for Cuba, para el Evangelio. for the gospel. Y la respuesta ha sido contundente. And the response of the people is fantastic. Nosotros queremos we want que en los Estados Unidos that people in North America Mucha gente esté orando y esté comprometiéndose con el ministerio para ayudar a la gran comisión en Cuba. 
Cuba is ready for the gospel. The opportunity to reach this nation for Christ stands open before us. A trained, experienced team is in place to carry out the mission. What is needed is your assistance and active participation. WorldLink needs your prayers and your financial support. Pray for our teams of evangelists. Pray for our growing number of home churches and their pastors. Pray for our leaders like Frank and their families. Do all that you can to help with our financial needs. $240 will support an evangelist and his family for a year. $5,000 will buy a home church and refurbish it for service. Whatever you're able to do, it will help. And it will have an impact for the cause of Christ in Cuba. The fruit that remains, a world of thoughts, visions, sights, and sounds that you can experience firsthand as God will lead you to do something greater in partnering with us at World Link Ministries. Whatever God leads you to do, we want you to know that the time to act is now. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to show you this. To me, uh, this video, as you can tell from my hair, which has grown, and it has grown whiter, <laughs> it's uh, about 10 years old. We have a revised video, and we were going back and forth this morning trying to get the right video up there. But uh, by now, to the glory of God, we have about 2,100 churches underway in Cuba. This is in a 10-year period. And because of Cuba, we're planting churches in other places as well. Just a little uh, PowerPoint follows so that I can, uh, I will stand down here but continue to speak so you can see it. But we call it God's greenhouse. And it talks about achievements in our church plants in Cuba through 2006. Now in 2010, the figure has gone higher. The vision, so that you understand it, is a strategy simply began with planting of churches on the island. A lot of people say, I didn't know Cuba was open. I thought it was communist. It is communist. And because of that isolation, we are able to do the church planting. People have not had the opportunity to freely go to churches before. But right now, there's a total openness. And uh, we're given a license in the United States and a license in Cuba by the Cuban government so we can do this. Uh, we originally thought that we would put 40 evangelists, 20 at each end of the island, and have them evangelize towards the middle and, uh, you know, shake hands when they got there, and we'd be done. Well, we didn't realize that it's as long as California is long, and so we needed to break it up. Confronted with the enormous size of the task, we realized that each of the 15 provinces could use 20 evangelists. And then we decided that we would hire and train church planting evangelistic nationals. And uh, we started by hiring about 20 for each of the provinces. Right now we have about 450 of them. And uh, they continue to plant churches. Over the last six years, it says back there, we have planted 1,065 churches. And the growth continues. That was 2006. Right now, we have... Uh, in the following map shots, you can see hundreds of church plants throughout Cuba. And this came just a couple or three years ago. The black pins represent large churches with 10 mission points each. So each black pin stands for one church plus 10 daughter churches. Cubans have this incredible mindset that will really revolutionize Christianity around the world. They say if you have a church and it has no daughter churches, it is like a barren woman in the Old Testament. 
and, and it's a curse. You don't want that. You want to produce. So each one of those churches, the black ones, have ten daughter churches. Each of the of the blue ones uh, are churches that have already been recognized by the government, that they have been planted and they're going. A lot of people say, with this many churches, you must be talking about house churches. Well, if you can fit 150 people in a house, then we're talking about house churches. And if you understand what's going on, Rafael in Reboredo has 14 daughter churches, and the people from his own church don't fit in his own house. And then Mario in Artemisa planted one church on $25 a month because that's the salary of a medical doctor. We say 25 because the $20 CUC over there costs us 25 But at any rate, on $25 a month, he planted a church, 700 members, 30 daughter churches, and 90 cell groups of about 20 people each. And we have just given him 30 new guys so that they can go after 100 new church plants in western Pinar del Rio. So this is really God's greenhouse that we're talking about. And you can see why. And then the expansion. Yellow pins represent a mission point that has not yet been officially recognized by the government. You know, we bought a set of pins, but it only had a few hundred in it. So you see the little dots around Havana that don't have a pin. Those are churches that are not represented with the pins. Now, as you keep going, you know, Greater Havana, you see all those points. You see a big white pin. That's where we do training over there. And uh, we are really throughout. The green pins represent mission points that are visited by missionaries attending other churches. And then uh, you have all the way out in the east and come away, different places, training points as well. We are throughout the different uh, regions, and we divide them not only in 15 regions, but each region has to be subdivided into north, center, and south so that we can keep track of it. Otherwise, we, it, it, we just wouldn't understand what's going on. If you see, this is Guantanamo. When you look at, at Cuba, it's the easternmost province, and we are in the very tip of Guantanamo as well in a place called Punta de Maicí. And if we go all the way out to the west, there's a little tiny tail of land that goes off of the westernmost part of Cuba. It's called Cabo San Antonio. And we are in three towns in Cabo San Antonio. We are, you know, this is just more of the same. Uh, the little tail that goes off to the left is what I'm talking about, the island of youth. Below Cuba is as big as Grand Canary and Canary Islands, Spain, where we have also ministry. And there we have about 32 church plants in that uh, daughter island in the place. So just to give you an idea, I'll stop with the PowerPoint right there. Uh, I want to read you a little letter of what just happened uh, about a month ago in Cuba. And uh, I'm trying to use my, my time wisely. We're going to uh, uh, be short a little bit here. But it says... This has to be the greatest of all weeks that I have ever spent in Cuba, and you were there in spirit. 1,150 souls were saved by the preaching of the gospel in one week, really three days of preaching and evangelistic efforts by our teams. Just look at the amazing reports from Guantanamo and Santiago, just the city proper. People evangelized, 12,157 people presented with the gospel. People interested and enrolled in follow-up, 3,205. 
people converted, 928 in the streets. Response to evangelistic meetings, Guantanamo, 22 people came forward. Santiago, 109 people came forward. Songo, 68. Artemisa, 15. Placetas, 10. 1,152 souls and counting. Since there is rejoicing in heaven for one sinner who repents, you know that there is a major kingdom celebration going on right now. When we left the meetings, the pastors with me during the week were in high spirits, to make an understatement. From the outset, we saw dozens of people coming forward. That was rare news compared to their earlier evangelistic efforts. But then on Wednesday evening, wow, 109 people came forward. But something else was happening. Along with our morning baptisms and evening events, our workers were being deployed to share the gospel in each of the targeted cities. They were out for four hours in the morning and another three hours in the afternoon. They worked in quiet, personal settings. They talked to people literally in the highways and byways and compelled them to come in. At the end of the day in Guantanamo, 430 came to Christ. And in Santiago, 450 through the witness of these workers. And on the night of the gospel meeting in Santiago, people began coming forward in a beautiful stream to receive the Lord. It thrilled our hearts, but most important, it thrilled the heart of God and of His Christ. I could not help but think of Isaiah 53. The Masoretic text reads, after he sees, this is Christ, the fruit of his travail, then his heart shall be satisfied. Just as the cry of the Moravian missions called out, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. The lamb receives the reward of his sufferings. Each time people came forward in Cuba, we gave them Bibles. That was a heartbreaking experience in itself. Bibles are hard to come by there. One veteran pastor that you would not have recognized, uh, he was greeting the workers in the videos. They were ready to go out. He's a little bit bald, and uh, he, he was wearing a white shirt. When he was 18 years old, he held a bakery, the, a main bakery at gunpoint, and stole all the money so he could buy Bibles for all of his church. He's on our uh, fundraising squad now. <laughs> <clears throat> well, he's changed a little bit since then. He's about 65 now. Uh, as we get, gave Bibles to the new converts, a dear lady held hers with both hands and asked in tears of disbelief, For me? This is for me? It is so convicting to think of how many Bibles are floating in our homes. What struck me again and again during this amazing time in Cuba was the need to just do it. One astonishing example, the Cuban workers went out into the streets in preparation for our evangelistic meeting. And in just this preparation, they led close to 900 people to Christ. Then in the properly planned meetings, we saw 40, 60, and even 100 who came to Christ. It was this group of Bible-enlightened, spirit-led Cubans who just did it. And they were the ones who had the lion's share of the results. In Matthew 21, 28 through 32, Jesus tells the story of two sons. The father tells him to go work in his vineyard. One says he will do it, but doesn't go. And the other one says he wouldn't do it. But, but he, then he went out and, go, and, and did it. Which one did the will of the father? The one who just did it. May the Lord help us to get beyond our good intentions. So that our, our epitaph may not read, here lies... Shoulda, coulda, woulda. No runs, no hits, no errors. He or she just didn't do it. 
the wonderful harvest we experienced last week in Cuba bore serious reminders for us. As we look at the Cuban experience with a sober mind, we see that even though there is much fruit to be garnered, there is spiritual warfare raging. It's not a walk in the park, exactly. Listen to this episode with our most successful guys, the guys with the 700-member church. It, uh, his name is Alberto, not really, but full of the Spirit. He was confronted by an unofficial. He was serene and profoundly focused. The leading party official told him he was bringing Alberto's work to a sudden and decisive stop. Alberto answered that the church is doing God's work and has found favor by helping people in their needs and in their lives. The official reminded Alberto that he has the authority to close Alberto down. I have the power, he said. Alberto replied that the official would have no power unless the Lord had allowed him to rise to power. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Now, this doesn't sound like Jesus, what he said next, but listen to it. It says, the official has the authority, but he is writing his own story, deciding what good or evil to accomplish with that power. He is positioning himself as to his own destiny in eternity. Then the official took on a different tone when he heard these words. He leaned back and in a reasonable mood said, I'm not going to shut down your work. I'm not opposed to what you're doing. I just want you to do it right. Thank you. Why don't you make it legal, he says, in such a way that none of us in the party can shut it down. The official, in light of the news that his life and deeds are being recorded for eternity, turned into a consultant for my friend, Jorge Luis. The official went on to tell Alberto how if he donates the part of the property that will be used for the church, he can live on the other part. Then, as the government acknowledges the donations, it can be a legally recognized place of worship. Not even the highest authorities of the land can close it down then. The official, besides being a political officer, is a lawyer in that government. He went on to develop the plan that would ensure the success of the whole project. He told Alberto that the complaints of the neighbors would subside if he could finish the facade on the street and remove the eyesore of the barricade erected to protect the building materials. He said that Alberto should ensure the approval of the donation by demonstrating he had an adequate living space for his family. Alberto and his family are currently sleeping on the floor of his wife's parents' home until the church is finished below so they can build the living quarters on top of the, of the church. Alberto melted in gratitude to the Lord for this dramatic turn of events, going from the threat of jail over the course of several months to being helped and encouraged by a political officer. Alberto is praising God for the amazing moment when he decided to obey the Lord in what he knew he should do. He will be the first to tell you that he didn't know how he was supposed to do it. It was simply obvious that he had to do it. When he made his mind up that he was not required to know all the details, he says he took a step of faith. He obeyed because of faith, and then he was able to just do it. Of course, even as the breakthrough has taken place, there are parts that are yet missing. The official's great strategic counsel has been profoundly helpful in showing that there is a way. He has shown the steps, the steps along the way. Now the challenge is to do it. It is one thing to say what needs to happen, but it is quite another to make it happen. 
both wonderful growth and wonderful breakthroughs generate needs. To organize workers and mobilize them meant we had to pay their transport, house them on site, and feed them. The path to ensure and establish the ministry with Alberto now entails a construction project. We must finish the current remodeling job and build a flat of similar dimensions upstairs for housing his family. Now that the work has been defined, all that remains to do is just do it. Now, just as with the advice of the official, we're glad to know that something can be done, and we have been told how to go about it, but each generation has ebbed and flowed in relationship to Christ's command. Some say they would, others say little, but the only ones that count are those who just plain did it. When it comes right down to it, all that counts is whether we did or didn't do it. We can talk about it, we can pray about it, but what he wants us to do is buckle down and do it. This is what's going on with Alberto, and this is what has happened. To God be the glory. Absolutely, it is God's greenhouse. He's the one that said, I will build my church. And he is doing that. And you know, the most amazing thing is this Cuban church is the poorest church in the entire world that we work with. That's a fact, a mathematical fact. And I told you in one of the visits here, I think it was last time, about Norma planting nine churches in western Cuba. And all she needed was her Bible. And when offered the opportunity, how can I help you? And the president of Coca-Cola was thinking, should I give you a car? Should I give you a motorcycle? She gets this bright idea. All I need is a flashlight. If I have a flashlight and my Bible, I can do nine churches. You remember that. The poorest church is doing it. My dear brothers and sisters, it's obvious that we have a whole lot more that God has given us, even in this depressed economic times. And, you know, we need to join him because it is as we join him that this is going to get done. Now, we have 14 minutes, so this is important that we get into the scriptures. But, you know, it's really amazing. It's a challenge. Um, in Cuba, you have all the time in the world to preach. Um, I remember I was uh, in a place in eastern Cuba, and um, I finished on time. Like they told me, finish at 12 o'clock, noon, and I did. And when I did, it really looked like there was a major emergency on hand. Some people began to run around. Some people ran from outside. And somebody brought a note and put it on the pulpit for me to read. It said, Brother, the sisters in the kitchen say the meat is still hard. Could you please preach another hour? <laughs> I am not kidding. It absolutely happened that way. So, you know, you have all the time over there to preach. The meat can get nice and, and tender and uh, no problem. But uh, I would like to just turn your attention to the scriptures for a moment because I know that it is God's word that we came for and it will minister to our hearts. Uh, and it is wonderful to see what the brothers are doing. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 14 for a moment. Matthew chapter 14. And uh, as we get there, what we would like to focus on this morning is... Uh, a, a couple of little statements that are going around in our culture and in the business world. One of them has to do with 
getting it. You know, a lot of people anymore, uh, when they want to uh, demonstrate that they are understanding something, etc., they say, I get it. I'm the type that gets it. You know, in the business world, if, if you are the type that doesn't get it, if somebody says, you know, he just doesn't get it, that's not a good thing. Uh, you're on your way out. Uh, so it, it's a slow bullet, and it might be a little time, but it will hit eventually. But you want to be the type that gets it, you know, getting it. I like to work with, you know, Jim, because Jim is the type that gets it. And that says all kinds of good things about you. If you are announced to be the type of person that gets it, that's really good. Well, we're going to look at a passage where the disciples were not getting it. And so it will be interesting to examine this situation and see if we get it. It says right here in verse 22, Matthew chapter 14, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Now, I'll stop right here because of our time and just make this first statement. You know, when I first read this passage, I was thinking of the storms of life. Remember when we talked about the storms of life, maybe some of you were here. And when, when confronted with the storms of life, we know that if Jesus is in the boat, everything is going to be okay. That Jesus is sleeping and he's showing us how to trust in the Father's provision and the Father's protection. And we can be serene just like Jesus. And faith in the middle of the victory is going to give us victory. So I was thinking, man, we have another winner right here. Matthew 14 is going to be a wonderful thing because they go away in the boat, and you're going to find that they're in the middle of another storm. He's up on a high point uh, praying there uh, over the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's really exciting. And then he comes down walking on water. But as he walks on water, it says in Mark chapter 6, the parallel passage, that he was going to walk past them. And that ruined my whole message. Because, you know, I thought, you know, how is that going to work out? You know, because I was prepared to really get excited in the message and say, you know, when you're in the middle of your storm, you know, here comes Jesus. He's walking on the water. He's bringing peace. He's bringing hope. He's bringing light. He's, you know, excitement, enthusiasm, and everything else. And then it says in Mark, he goes past him. And I thought, well, that wouldn't work. You know, here comes my hope. Here comes my hope. There goes my hope. There went my hope. What? (laughs) Why is he walking past? And see, the seminary where Pastor Howard and I went is very sticky about stuff like this. You can't say, thus saith the Lord, if the Lord did not say thus. So what if I just ignore Mark 6 and preach out of Matthew 14? That won't do it. You've got to do the whole study, the whole scene, get it from every angle, get the camera focused in every situation. So why is he going to go past them? It made me go back and study the whole thing again, and from Mark's perspective as well. And so listen to this. The disciples were made to get into the boat, and Jesus sends the crowd away. I thought Jesus would just 
greeting people at the door, you know, thanks for coming, dropping by, you know, have a great week. No, he wasn't doing that. Actually, that made them get in the boat is he shoved them into the boat. He was upset. It's like one of those, the cleansing of the temple. He made them get in the boat. And he sent the people away. And the reason is because the people wanted to make him king by force. They had seen the feeding of the 5,000. And they decided this guy is better than Alan Greenspan. He can handle the economy. He can do this. We're going to make him king. And they wanted to make him king by force. And Jesus says, you don't get it. That's not what I'm here for. My kingdom is not of this world. So he makes them get into the boat because the disciples also had joined the seditious mood. The disciples were saying exactly, he ought to be king. You know, we already figured out the cabinet. Who's going to sit on his right? Who's going to sit on his left? We know all about this. We've been telling him this. And they were happy with the people. Jesus says, no, you get in the boat and you people go home. It's not about self-security. It's not about progress. It's not about abundance necessarily. It is not the economy like some people. It's the economy. Uh, They were saying stupid. But Jesus said, it's the kingdom, saint. It's the kingdom. I am not trying to... Get this and do that and do that. I've come with a specific mission. And the disciples are not getting it. And Jesus goes up into a mountaintop. And if you've been out there, you see the whole lake from anywhere that's high. And from that high place, he is looking down and he can see that the boat is being tortured, it says in the original. By the wind and the waves. And that's when he is coming, walking on the water. And this is a second attempt. Read, read with me about it. It says right here, verse 24. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves. For the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And so this second episode is Christ's attempt to help them to get it. To catch on. This is where Mark helps us to see what's going on. When Jesus was going to go past them in Mark, and you read about it and you study about it the same way that when Moses was not catching on to God's plan, God displays his glory, makes his glory to go by him so he can understand he is God. What am I trying to do telling God how to do this? You know, perspective for ministry means understanding who God is and who am I. Perspective in ministry means that I can also understand that I can bring just a couple of loaves and five little fish and he can feed multitudes. 
perspective in ministry means it doesn't matter if I think I'm, I'm insignificant. He is everything. With God, we are a majority. With God, we can do anything that he wants to get done. So all we have to do is join him. And that's a very, very exciting discovery. Jesus is displaying his glory the same way that God displayed his glory to Elijah. Remember when Elijah had had the battle of the gods there in, uh, on Mount Carmel? And they had defeated uh, the Baal uh, prophets and so on. And he killed all the, uh, all the prophets of Baal. And they showed him and, and they made it rain. And everything should have been decided and defined. They chose finally the Lord is God. And then Jezebel wants to kill him. She doesn't get it. Well, he didn't either. He ran. And God has to show him and say, what are you doing here? And Elijah says, well, it's not working out. It's not. We were way behind on the, on the scoreboard. We, we, beat them, we beat them fair and square. We, you showed. No. Elijah, it's not over. And I mean, I could bring fire and destroy California. Would you be happy then? See, I can make this fire wipe out this mountain. I can bring earthquakes that split the rocks. I can do this. But God was not in the fire and God was not in, God was not in the earthquake. And God is in a still small voice. And he says, I know what I'm doing. Just follow me. Just bear with me. Join me. Come along. I know what I'm doing. I am God. Behold my glory. And Elijah gets it. And so did Moses. And now he's walking by the disciples, but they don't get it. They think it's, it's, it's a phantom. See, there was this legend that whenever sailors were going to go down, the last thing they saw is the phantom of the deep. And so they, th- they see, they had never even heard of somebody walking on water. And here comes this apparition, walking on water. In, they've been struggling with a storm all night. It can only mean one thing. We're going down and the phantom of the deep is coming for us. And so as they see him, here comes the phantom of the deep. And they're all scared. But the only one that doesn't get scared is Peter. Normally we poke fun at Peter or we tell him different things. This thing is trying to be a little storm in the middle of the day. But we got it. But Peter is the only one that engages in a dialogue with the phantom of the deep. And he says, okay, you the phantom, you know, this and that, okay. If you say you're God, okay, what, what can I say? You know, if, if, if it's him, should I ask him for a miracle? Well, he's already in the middle of one. Um, okay, what, get me into the miracle. You can make me walk on water. And Jesus said, Come. And he stepped on solid water. First time the term was ever used. <laughs> solid water. You know, we talked at the beginning that we need to get it. We need to be the type to get it. But the other big thing that makes the rounds in office circles, in the business world, and so on, is that we need to think outside the box. Well, Peter defined for us that in order to understand what God is about and join him at his work, we need to think outside the boat, not outside the box. 
And it is when we think outside the boat that we are able to get it. Because when he gets steps outside and he realizes walking by faith is a very scary proposition. Keep your eyes on Jesus and everything is going to be okay. Take him off and put him on the circumstances and you're going to sink. So you need to stay focused on him. It's just like that we used to sing in the little song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light. Are we out of battery? Did I wear it out? Okay. In the light of his glory and grace. So here is Peter, and he is walking on the water. In the first episode, you see that they were not getting it. In the second one, they don't get it either. They think it's the phantom of the deep. In the third one, they realize it is God. He says, don't be afraid. It's not the phantom of the deep. I am. In the Greek, ego, me. I am. And he is the one. And he's the one that we need to focus on. So this is a lesson for all of us, dear brothers. You know, there are so many, many ways, brothers and sisters, I meant. Uh, in Spanish, we only say brothers, and it includes brothers and sisters. Forgive us. Uh, but at, at any rate, the, the victory is in understanding who it is that has called us to join him. And the victory is in joining him. And the victory is in doing it. Because there are many good intentions, and we can say we want to, we can say we mean it, but whatever counts is only when we just plain do it. And so we, we are absolutely blessed for what God is doing in his greenhouse. Because of Cuba, we have been invited to go also into Ukraine. Because of Cuba, we have been invited, and we've got 200 church plants going in Ukraine right now. Because of Cuba, we were invited into Romania. We have 160 church plants that are, are off and running and on their own already in Romania. Because of that, we were invited into Italy. Because of that, we were invited into Israel. Because of that, we're into Mexico, where we're trying to grow 100 churches over the next three years and 320 churches over the next five to seven years. And we are praising God and asking that you be like the disciples in the third episode. That we be the type that gets it, and more than the type that gets it, the type that does it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would move freely in our midst, and that our brothers and sisters would rejoice at what you're doing, but also be able to join you and just plain do it. To the glory of your great name, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.